Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Shane Nicholson has released 11 albums, won three ARIA awards and 16 Golden Guitars. So that is a promising start to his career. His most recent album is in Liv- is Living in Colour. He's also one of Australia's most in-demand producers. He is now embarking on a new tour, which will cover his 25 years in song. And we're going to talk about that. Hi, Shane. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, I'm actually going to start not on the tour, but I'm going to start by saying that I imagine... Uh, by this stage in your career, when other artists see your name as a finalist in a golden guitar category, it strikes fear into their heart because you swept <laughs> the pool last year. You weren't even nominated as an artist this year and you managed to win one as a producer. So can you feel the fear from everyone else? Well, I feel the fear myself. There's plenty of other big hitters at, at the golden guitars that I've lost to many times. So I, I know the fear well myself. It's um, It's a... It's a nice experience when everybody gets a bit of a crack at the podium, you know, um, whether however many years it takes, it's nice that uh, when everybody gets a shot at it and um, I was lucky that last year was my yeah, one of my shots. It was a really nice one. Um, it meant a lot specifically for, because it was that record, but, um, I mean, it always means a lot. But, yeah, it was a very nice bonus to the whole project. And Lynn Botel's Wiser, which uh, won this year and you produced that, was a wonderful record as well. And you sang with Lynn on that. And she tells a story on stage where she wanted you to sing on that song, uh, but she didn't know how to ask you. And then she finally got around to asking you and it turned out you'd had a similar thought about singing on it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, I I try and get myself on as many albums as possible when I'm producing. (laughs) I can can kind of wedge my way into most projects, yeah. I suppose also that means you've got the pick of the songs because you know exactly what's going on in the album and you can say that's that's the one I want. Yeah. Look, she probably didn't tell you the whole story about that. It was actually we asked a few other people to do that first, um, like males as a guest vocal, um, but it just none of them worked out schedule-wise and it was just really hard to organise. And I was sort of like the backstop. I was just like, the, okay, well, maybe I better do it. No, we can't. We couldn't find someone else. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're a pretty qualified backstop. Um, when you when that album on Golden Guitar, then you were the producer. Does it feel a bit different, um, almost parental, I guess, when when uh, when you win as a producer? Absolutely, I've won a few times as producer, and I think they've all been with Lynn, actually, right. from memory. Um, and it always feels amazing because it's some, it's a. Uh, Oh, it's a, it's a very different feeling than winning for your own record. I mean, I put as much blood and um, passion into every anyone else's album as I, you know, I do as much as I do on my own. I they, I live and breathe albums when I make them, no matter who it's for. So it's still hugely rewarding to win on behalf of someone else's record. But it's a different kind of feeling because you're also um, feeling quite proud that you helped someone else achieve or realize that goal that they had and it's nice to be a part of that I guess or play a part a role in somebody else's victory or achievement you know yeah and do you have a display cabinet for all these awards or are they in the pool room I do well I do actually they're all outside the studio um on a on a like a you know like a 
bench thing there. Um, I used to have them all in a cupboard uh, because I always felt a little self-conscious, like it was a bit, you know, sort of, I don't know, bragging or something when people would come around. And and then I realised over time that, you know what, I really worked hard for those things and I I want to see them when I go to work so it makes me work hard. So I've put them at they're just outside the door of the studios. So every day when I come to work, I walk past them and it makes me think, okay, pick your game up, do a good day, make sure you're making good music, you know, and um, it's not so much to win more awards, but, you know, just don't want to lose anymore. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also not just working hard, but working consistently. And and one could say actually getting better each time, because I think the challenge for an artist like you uh, and the and the tour is going to reflect your body of work. Um, you know, you've, you've made a lot of albums, you've written a lot of songs. It would be, I think, you know, the easier path is actually to go off the boil a bit. It's a lot harder to keep trying to to at least equal what you've done before, if not best it. I, and I think if I stopped, if I if I lost that desire to do that, I wouldn't do it anymore. I think to do, I think to be, in my mind, to be the kind of artist I want to be, it takes all of me when I'm in that mode, when I'm, when I'm writing or when I'm recording or performing, it takes all of me. And if I didn't have all of me to give, I don't think I would do it. I think I would do something else that I, that I could put all of me into. It's just the kind of the way I seem to get satisfaction out of doing things is by doing it wholeheartedly and, um, and putting my whole being into it, you know, mm-hmm. and um, to the detriment of everything else in my life at times, you know, my poor family outside the studio, I can hear my, you know, my baby Jude out there kind of crying because it's, you know, it's nearly dinner time. And, <laughs> and so I, I, I just, and I'm in here in the studio, you know, uh, fixing somebody's vocal take from today. You know, it's just kind of, it's what I do and I, and it takes, it does take all of me, but I love that. It kind of, uh, I don't know, it's become part of me over mm-hmm. all these years. And um, you, I feel like I would be somewhat less of a, a complete human if I wasn't doing it. Now you, so putting all of you into it includes going on this tour, which is reflecting your 25 years in song, as the description has been. I don't even know, though, how you would begin to put together a set list for this show, <laughs> um, even though it's two sets from what I understand. Um, so that gives you a fair amount of scope. But how, how have you started to choose the songs? Uh, it's been quite difficult, but I don't remember them all. So I have to kind of <laughs> open up, you know, Spotify or something and look at all of the the albums and then kind of go through everything and and some of them I haven't played for over 20 years you know like since especially the early records I haven't revisited them very much since then so it's a matter of not just picking the songs but relearning a lot of them completely and uh, some of them feel like they're songs that were written by somebody else because it's mm-hmm. like a lifetime ago you know um but it's also really cool it's and because I'm because I'm doing this show, like you said, it's a long show. There's no support act. It's me kind of playing a couple of shows, sets a night. And I'm trying to attach the stories to the songs that have existed all that time. So I've never kept diaries or journals in my life because I just lack the discipline. But I think songs have become my journals mm-hmm. and records have become my diaries. And, and so I'm trying to, what I'm doing while picking the set list is go back and 
remembering all of the stories that came along with those songs, some of them where they came from or where I wrote them or why I wrote them, and then in an attempt to kind of loosely piece together that whole period of, you know, a dozen albums over 25 years. And, and you know, there's a lot of living and a lot of music that's gone on in that time. So it's just a matter of trying to pull together the, the songs that tell the story and the stories that accompany those songs to to come up with a complete sort of package of what that whole period has been for me, you know. And I didn't even know that it was 25 years. It was, a, you know, my manager that said, said to me, do you realise you've kind of tipped over past your 25 year um, since your first release kind of thing? And I didn't even really realise. I still think of myself as a 25-year-old. So to be, have been doing it for 25 years was a bit of a shock, you know, and... But I thought it was a milestone that should somehow be acknowledged, um, at least for me to kind of acknowledge it and go on the road and close it all off as a chapter and um, or as a as the as book one, you know, in the in the series. Yeah, um, I mean, I suppose also going back to earlier material creatively, that would be really interesting because, as you said, you know, you're not the person you were when you wrote those songs. So you're not the person you were when you sang those songs on a recording. And I, and I would imagine it's quite interesting to look at those lyrics, to hear those melodies and think, how am I going to interpret this now? True. and But it's also really interesting because playing songs that I wrote, you know, when I was in my early 20s, um, now after having played for, you know, 20-odd years since then it's or more, it's I, I can put this whole new kind of, slant of experience on them that you know these some of them were uh, you know quite naive and um uh i can hear my my well my naivety and my age you know and my lack of life experience in some of them you know and and coming at them now from a different angle and certainly musically as well i can reinvent them in ways that i never imagined back then because i hadn't you know, done done all of played all of the music and had all of the musical experiences I've now had. So it's actually really interesting trying to reinvent them. And the biggest challenge is I can't sing that high anymore. So I've got to bring all the, I've got to bring all the songs down because you know that's a long time ago. I could sing a lot higher then. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, when I saw you play last year on some on one of the delayed living in color dates, Matt Fell was with you and he'd also produced that album, which was was not. I would imagine great because you producers there um, working with you on stage. But no Matt Fell this time by the sound of it. No Matt Fell, but I'm, what I'm trying or well, endeavouring to do on this whole tour is that because it's been such a long time recording and travelling, especially in Australia, I've used a lot of musicians. I have really close musician friends that have worked with me over the years in almost every port in the country. So I'm trying to get them out of their homes, even though it's winter, and get them to be guests at all of these shows as I travel around because they're part of that story, that 25-year story, and, I've, and I'm playing songs every night that include them. So whenever I, you know, wherever I go, I'm going to try and pull along people from around that area that I've played with, worked with before, or have some kind of involvement in that story and include them because they're all, they are all part of it. Um, and that way every show will be sort of individual there'll be no two shows that are the same and there'll be no two shows that are even have the same set list you know it's going to be a revolving kind of or evolving kind of show i think um 
but it was certainly not the kind of show I could drag a band around on because it's, there's so many songs to play every night. There's so many stories to tell. There's so much ground to cover, and it'll be changing all the night. I think the every night, I think the band would just hate me by the end of <laughs> throwing so many, you know, so much material at them. You know, it's it's like over a hundred songs that they'd have to learn just in case I chose to play one yeah. of them. So, yeah. Now, is it too late to put in requests? Because you know, I'm familiar. Well, it's never, with- it's never too late. It's never too late to put in your request. Okay, so my request would be keep it together. Mm-hmm. Um, long time coming and Hermansburg. Oh, lovely. Well, they've all they've all made it to the shortlist at this stage, those three. So they're looking good. good. <laughs> they're looking good. Yeah. Oh, I'm pleased my taste just aligns with yours. But I also know <laughs> from previous experience that you do give audiences sometimes the opportunity on the night to make requests. Will you be doing that again? I often do, yeah. Song bingo we play and uh I often do give the audience a chance to call out songs. It's only really because sometimes there's songs that I just don't remember to play. And um, I I try to write set lists before shows. I, I rarely stick to them. They're just kind of, it's it's sort of um, make it up as you go along kind of thing. And there's staples that happen in every show. But this one's quite different. I've got to cover a lot of ground. So there's definitely set lists and um and a pool of leftover songs that I'll be drawing from. But, yeah, I always love a bit of song bingo because I like that people try and trip me up, you know. They <laughs> they choose, they call out for songs that they think I wouldn't remember and usually they're right. I don't remember them and it's a train wreck, but it's all part of the fun, <laughs> you know. And, of course, uh, you've also put out Sleeping Dogs, which was the, a compilation of B-sides and things, so I would imagine if they're trying to trip you up, that may be the one. There's been a few call-outs for things from that, yes, and they've been absolute nightmares to try and get get through but you know just because you know some of those songs i played once to record them and i've never heard them again <laughs> so it's, it's a real challenge but you know i love the challenge and and it's a good way for me to see what you know just to get an insight into what audiences are really you know listening to and what records they have and what songs they like what connects and and it, and it makes it a two-way conversation you know i i like these shows it's different when you have a band and it's loud and there's smoke and it's a show, but I like these kind of intimate performances to be a two-way conversation. It's it's not just a performance. It's sort of like having everyone in a large lounge room and and I like making them part of the show, you know. Mm. So And I sometimes get people up to play things, you know, instruments, and I, I generally always ask for somebody who's never played an instrument before. Oh, they're the ones I want to come up and try and play something with me, and it's always fun. But it, it just breaks down that barrier between artist and audience, I think, and um, that's what makes those intimate shows special, and it makes them, uh, you know, a one-off. It makes them uh, a show that's never going to happen anywhere else ever again. Yeah. Have you always been like that as an artist in terms of wanting to interact with the audience or is it something that's developed as you've realised that audience is there, that people have this relationship with your music? Yeah, I never was like that. I was quite the opposite. I was incredibly shy on stage, would hardly ever speak between songs, um, would would finish my last song and I'd be off stage, gone before the applause finished. Like I just was not that kind of... I didn't understand how to be that kind of engaged or engaging artist. I think um, I was. Uh, it wasn't wasn't until many many years later, lots and lots of touring, um, especially touring a lot with Casey, doing the records that we did together, because there was so much on stage banter with that because because of 
our situation and now we're you know being married and there was so much fodder there for us to talk about and and that really kind of got me talking a lot more on stage and developing that kind of side of performance I think and um, it's certainly become a massive part of my show now and interestingly the people that I admire are all you know the artists that I admire are ones that are brilliant at that you know people like like I saw Steve Poltz recently and he's a master at that like his his stage banter is as important as the music he plays you know Freddie Eaglesmith all these these great artists whose whose interactions with the audience are just as big a part of their act as their music is and I think it's just a great way to connect people with you as a person and as a as an artist and not just somebody singing a song you know mm-hmm. and, and put it puts a human to the song yeah I think an extreme version of that, of that banter I saw was you and Casey playing uh, at a venue in Katoomba a few years ago and um the aircon was such that the guitars kept going out of tune and you spent an inordinate amount of time between <laughs> each song having to tune each guitar. And then, of course, she had to fill in with banter, you had to fill in with banter. Mm. I remember thinking, they're great at the banter, but this must be extremely frustrating. <laughs> well, yeah, that happens a lot. It was probably a banjo, I'm guessing. It was probably a banjo that was constantly out of tune because they're out of tune in the best of um, circumstances, let alone when the aircon's not <laughs> working. Uh, but yeah, that the the banter was was always fun, but it was always genuine too. It was pretty much just the way we interacted off stage. So um, it's uh, that kind of taught me just to you know that whole all those years of touring together, um, and we did it here and in the US. It just kind of really I don't know helped me feel more comfortable just being myself on stage and, and letting that out rather than having the artistic facade you know put up you know when you go on stage and um yeah i've really i've really taken to it and i really enjoy that now and it, it's added a whole new element to the show um you know i actually like going out and selling merchandise and signing autographs after the show whereas i never i never even did that i never even went out the front to sign autographs after a show because i would have to talk to people and that would freak me out and i would get you know, and anxious and um, I just wanted to go to a, back to the hotel. But now I kind of enjoy that interaction because, the, you know, I'm getting a different sort of feedback. It's not just applause or, you know, whatever the adoration is at the show. It's like a, a personal feedback about songs and people telling you about their experiences with your music or whatever. And, yeah, there's a whole other um, extra level of satisfaction that comes from that. So, you know, I enjoy that now as well. It's a it's a very different scenario for me touring now than it used to be. It's um it's um it's 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 really, really different and really I think enjoyable. Like I'm enjoying it again. I, I really went through a stage of being over touring. I just you know, had been doing it for so long and, and the same way for so long. Mm-hmm. That it was getting monotonous and tedious. So all the ninety minutes on stage, which was always brilliant, but the the rest of it was just you know taking a toll. And but I'm I'm finding this whole renewed love for it, specifically since the, the Living Color tour that I did, the first main tour for the album was just so no fun and i'm guessing it was also because that was the first tour post covid and i hadn't been touring for a long time for a may and i'm guessing that's because it was their first shows after covid and they hadn't shot so it was 
all the stars aligned and that tour was fantastic. And that's largely why this tour I'm doing now is pretty much the exact same run of the Living in Colour tour, hence Living in More Colour. It's the same venues, the same. I'm going everywhere that I did in the last, you know, whatever. So uh, I'm doing the whole thing again and I'm expecting it to be just as much fun. Yeah. Well, and one of the venues uh, you're going to is the Press in Tamworth, which is during the Hats Off to Country Tour. And I'm guessing because you would have played earlier this year, you are in fact double dipping in Tamworth this year, summer and winter. Right. Well, I've never done, I've never been to Tamworth outside of the summer festival. Um, I've never been to Hats Off, the, the January festival. So this is the first time. So, and, you know, and the press, I love the press. It's a really, it's a perfect venue that I'm doing. And um, and there's a few friends in playing that same uh, weekend. So I get to kind of, you know, catch up with a few folks and, and make a weekend of it. It's going to, yeah, I'm, I'm really, don't tell my partner, Emma, but there's also an element of this tour that is like a bit of a that because um, not only am I in the studio a lot, but, we don't getting much sleep with a nine month old baby. So going on tour is actually, I'm looking forward to a full night's sleep <laughs> and not being woken up all night and then, you know, up at five in the morning or something. And uh, so I'm actually looking forward to it being a bit of a holiday. Not that she needs to know that. But. No, no, this is definitely not any, going to be anywhere she can see it. Um, I'm actually going to, enter the Absolutely. I'm going to enter the flattery portion of the interview because um, I actually want to talk about your singing because you are so widely acknowledged by those awards by your peers as a great songwriter. And that's often talked about you as a songwriter, but you're actually a great singer as well. And so when I sort of, if I think about listening to your music, it's like you just got such a great voice. You talked about maybe not seeing the, the high notes as you used to, but I've never <laughs> asked you when I've interviewed you before about how you started as a singer, like what age, what your influences were and whether you actually were influenced by anyone as a singer or whether you developed your own sound. Funnily enough, I, I never wanted to be a singer. And I think that's because, like I said, I, I was sort of, shy in a way I guess with that when I was younger I was happy to stand on stage and play behind a guitar but singing was something I wasn't really all that into until I was sort of forced into it when our our singer left from our band so my band that became pretty violet stained for you know 10 years when we first left high school we um, we ended up scoring this big showcase for for a couple of major record labels but a week before the showcases happened. We, um, for some reason, we thought it was a wise time to sack our singer <laughs> and we had no time to get someone else. So I sang by default um, just for those shows so that we could play these showcases and hopefully get a record deal. But, of, of course, what happened was we did get a record deal and then I was stuck singing because that was kind of the band that was presented so we couldn't change it then. So I was reluctantly a lead singer from that point on. Uh, and so I had no designs on being a singer, but it was something that I just kind of, I guess, fell into the, out of necessity. Um, but I love it now. Like I've always loved, I've grown into it, I guess. I've grown into being a singer. And uh, there's lots of singers that inspire me, but, you know, strangely, a lot of my favourite singers and artists, I don't really have favourite singers who are just singers. It's artists, you know, it's writers and but they're all people like, you know, Bob Dylan and Neil Young, um, people who aren't really known for being 
you know the best singer in the world it's it's more um it's more an entire package they have their songs the way their voice tells those stories and um they're the kind of singers that i really aspire to um you know but there's people i love listening to i like you know always i, I can admire great singers I'm lucky being a producer. I get to record a whole bunch of great singers. Like we we talked about Lynn before. She's like one of the best singers in the country. Mm. Being able to record her is not work at all. It's it's actually a whole lot of fun. Um, so yeah, we, I, I I love singing. I love I love more so that it's a way to tell a story. Really, that it's it's a vehicle to carry a lyric of a song that I something I want to convey. So singing is sort of a byproduct of just wanting to be creative and make songs i think you know uh so i haven't really thought about it too much there's it's just something i do and it's certainly not something i've ever felt hugely confident about it's just something i do and um but i i do it just because i have to i think <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> well it's working thank you thanks um, <laughs> another aspect of your work um i would think partly this is through being a producer that you essentially would mentor some artists but i'm, I'm thinking uh, actually of a more direct mentoring role with someone like leon milner where you write a song together that song actually goes on to win a golden guitar that he he was very much an emerging songwriter i'm wondering if there were any artists who actually acted like a mentor for you or mentors for you as you were emerging as an artist uh, oh yeah Absolutely. There was quite a few. Um, there was people I worked with back that I met when I was about 19 or so. I went to I went to my first writer's camp, which was at Michael Godinsky's house up in the mountains of Mount Macedon in Melbourne. And that was when I first met and wrote with people like David Bridie and, um, you know, Deborah Conway and uh, uh, all these people that I'd, you know, seen on TV and then I got to meet and write songs. David Bridie was one in particular that I I worked with there, wrote a song with, very nervously wrote a song with him. I was a big fan um, of his. And then we stayed in touch and did work together over the years and he became a mentor of sorts. Um, there was there was quite a few people over different, different periods, you know, uh, in different ways uh like jimmy barnes was a really big mentor for me in that we were on tour with him a lot but he would make an effort to get me out on stage and you know get me to sing with him and it was like some of the most incredible moments i've had you know uh singing on stage with somebody like him you just learn a lot so things like that diesel's done that with me had me up doing shows and um uh, early on, you know, before I really kind of had a flag to bear uh, back then. And, uh, you know, those, kind of, those kinds of things mean a lot. And even the, as small as they might be, they, they, can have, they can have lasting impacts on you, you know. But my biggest musical mentor was probably my high school friend who taught me how to play guitar. That was it. He was two years above me in high school. He charged me $8.00 every Saturday to go to his house and give me an hour's guitar lesson. Uh, and that's pretty much how I learned to play. But then I, and then I joined his band as a guitar player. Um, and I worked with him for years and years and he made, he taught me to actually play guitar. And so he probably had one of the biggest um, impacts on me ever. And it was just, you know, when I think back to it, I think of him as like this 
older, wiser, sage-like guy, but he was he was only 16, you know, <laughs> and I was 14, you know, when we started. And and he taught me for about four years. And then um, and we still keep in touch. He's an incredible guitar player, you know, incredible. So it's um yeah, I remember that. I'll never forget that. My high school Saturdays, you know, and I used to have to clean my parents' bathroom every Saturday morning to get the eight dollars that I could take to pay him for the lesson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think that is a perfect moment actually on which to end because that is the start of your career you've just described. And the tour is going to give us 25 years overview of a career since then. You are touring throughout July and August. The dates will be attached to this interview. Shane Nicholson, as ever, a great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. A pleasure to talk to you too. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.